Thank you, Daniel. We're in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're actually, actually going to finish this chapter this morning. It's been about two weeks, you know. I think it's been about two months, hasn't it? Or three? I don't know. I was looking at it the other day, and I couldn't... Re- We've been in this chapter for a long time, but this is, this is an incredible chapter in, in a very... Just an incredible book. Um, and I'm, I'm just... Actually, I'm just thrilled to be going through it. And... and and even in the passages that we look at this morning, we're going to start in verse 43. I'll read to you in verse 43 and uh, through the end of the chapter. There, there really is <clears throat> so much more here than, than, than I'm, what I'm really able to cover uh, just in the amount of time that we have. So I, I would encourage you to, to keep reading. And, and uh, somebody said recently, they were, they were, it was in our Wednesday study actually, they were asked a question. And, and then they said, well, I've been reading ahead. And I'm like, good for you. Um, I like that. I like that. I'm reading ahead. So I'm going to encourage you to read ahead a little bit. And also, I've a, a, I, Proverbs 3 is one of my favorite Proverbs. And I read it last night, being the third day of the, of the, of the uh, month. And uh, if you haven't read it, you know, you can pretend like today's the third and go ahead and read it and then read the fourth and this, we're continuing to read the Proverbs as well uh, for uh, one proverb for the day that it, uh, or the date that we are actually on. And I, I think that is really helpful, um, although I don't always bring it up, but I think it's really helpful in, in reading Ecclesiastes and, and it's really kind of uh, gives a different perspective than the book of Ecclesiastes does. But right now we're in John chapter 1. Beginning in verse 43, I'm going to read to you out of the uh, New American Standard 2020. It says, The next day, he decided, that is, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses wrote in the law, And the prophets also wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph. Take note of that. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Madras? I mean, Nazareth, excuse me. Um, And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how did you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because you, excuse me, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So, Father, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would minister to our hearts this morning and that you would speak to us and that you would make this passage uh, real to us 
in such a way that it ministers to who we are right here, right now, in, in our current situation. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might receive from you that which you have for us. And I ask too, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you might speak through me. Lord, we do thank you for a, a, a wonderful time of worshiping you and, and coming and communing with you at your table. And so, Lord, help us to continue to receive from you as we hear your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. So this is another interesting part. This is the third saying in this particular chapter where he says, on the next day. Um, And it's important to remember that that John is, is, in writing this, uh, remember, I believe it's the fourth gospel that was written. I think John wrote his gospel last. Uh, and and it, we have to also remember that John is constructing this in such a way that that this isn't he's he's not a just a newspaper reporter, right? He's just not writing down facts and then putting them out on the paper. He's he he's he's focused on more than just the facts. Although everything that he writes in here is true. Uh, but, and so many of the commentators have already started mentioning this that I've read, that he is, he's an extremely competent writer, of course, in, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. But what he's doing is he's providing a theological masterpiece for us. Not only is he providing a theological masterpiece, but I believe he's, he's providing for us a spiritual masterpiece as well, and because this is a very relational book. As we looked at last week with, with Andrew, uh, who was one of the two who was following John the Baptist, the other disciple who was following John the Baptist, uh, both of them leave John the Baptist when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world a second time. And it's believed that that second disciple uh, is none other than the Apostle John who wrote this gospel. And, of course, they go, and Andrew goes, and he gets Peter. And so Peter is now a part of this group. They were in Bethany, uh, this area that's on the southeast portion of the Sea of Galilee. It's actually not on the Sea of Galilee, but it's southeast of the Sea of Galilee, east of the Jordan River. And he decides to go into the region of the Galilee, which is the region of Cana. We will look at that next week uh, with the wedding at Cana. Also south of Cana is Nazareth. Um, and so the, he, he's going to be doing some ministry in that particular area, but also this, this area of Bethsaida, which is on the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. So he's, he's ministering primarily in that area. Let me put it in some kind of context for you culturally. If Jerusalem would be, let's say, Portland or Seattle, the region of the Galilee would be central Oregon. So he, he's working more with, in, in the country. He's working more with people who are, who are not in the city. Uh, it is estimated. Notice I said it's estimated. I don't know how they made this estimate. They didn't take a census. But it is estimated that, that Nazareth probably at the time of Jesus, probably had about 400 residents. Very small town. Um, kind of a backwater area. And of course, the big question 
The big debate is, was Nathaniel being sarcastic about Nazareth, like I was about Madras? Or was he a person who knew his scripture? Because what's interesting, and we're not going to look at this today. I'm just throwing this out here for you. The scriptures do, nev- do not ever indicate. I'm, pr- I'm talking about the Old Testament scriptures. They never say that a prophet is coming out of the Galilee. They don't say that. It talks about a prophet. Uh, Micah talks about this. Uh, the prophet coming from Bethlehem. And, and uh, from out of Egypt, Isaiah says, I have called my son. But it never mentions the Galilee. I, I find that to be fascinating. And we'll get into that in, at the rate we're going, probably over a year when we're in John chapter 7. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's something to consider, and I'm going to come back to this chapter then. Um, but Jesus decides to, to go into the region of the Galilee, and he finds Philip. And he simply says to Philip, follow me. Now, when we read this, you could almost get the impression that Philip's sitting on the side of the road somewhere or hanging out somewhere, doing something, whatever, and Jesus happens to walk by and say, follow me, and immediately Philip gets up. That probably isn't exactly what happened. We don't know for sure, and I'm making even the argument from silence. But the Greek is in present tense, which means this continual action. So what he's saying in the Greek, essentially to Philip, is continue to follow me. So there was probably some prior relationship between Philip and Jesus. We don't exactly know. For this particular passage, it's not really all that important other than, than John is giving us somewhat of a chronology of what it means to follow Jesus. It's really part of the theme that, that, uh, that we really see begin to be developed back in verse 41 of this chapter, this, this, this theme of finding Andrew goes to Peter and says, we found the Messiah. He first found Simon, his brother, and said, we have found the Messiah. And then Jesus says to Philip, follow me. It's kind of the same concept. It's a similar word in the Greek. And Philip finds Nathaniel, also believed to be Bartholomew as one of, the, one of the apostles. And Philip says to Nathaniel, we have found him of whom wrote in the law, the prophet also wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth. So that's one of the themes that we will see uh, a few times also in the book of John, this idea of finding and following. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because I want, to, I want to talk about this idea of the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. But the real question is, as I read this, did we find Jesus or did Jesus find us? Uh, 
I think that's an important question to ask. My view is that Jesus found us in such a way that it almost feels like we found him. But the reality is, I believe that the Spirit of God is always, 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 always the initiator. Always the initiator. I was thinking about this, uh, I was thinking about this yesterday afternoon. And we went through a period of time, um, gosh, this was what, over 30 years ago. I was so burnt out on church. You ever get burnt out on church? I was so burnt out on church for a lot of reasons that I don't even want to bother to get into. So we took a time out. We took over a year. We didn't go. And the strangest thing is I woke up one morning on a Saturday morning, and my first thought when I woke up was, I need to get back into church. Now, was that me seeking after God? No, I think that was me responding to something that God was brewing inside of my heart and somehow moving in my heart. And we started, we, from, then that next day we ended up in church and we, we haven't stopped going yet. Um, but it, God is always the initiator. He's always the initiator. We simply respond. And, and Peter, or, or, or Philip says, to, to Nathaniel, we found the one that Moses and the prophets were talking about. We looked at this a couple of Sundays ago when we looked at Deuteronomy 18, where Moses prophesies about the prophet whom will come from among their brethren, and it is he that they will listen to. He's prophesying of the Messiah. And without taking the time to jump into this, how many other places can we look at in the Old Testament where the prophets themselves talked about the Messiah. But we're called to follow him because he found us. I think the concept of that is also similar in the book of Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, where, where it says, but, you, but after you have known God, or rather are known by God. Follow that? After you have known God, or rather are known by God. In other words, God, again, he, he, he calls us to himself, and he initiates, and we simply respond to that. Now, personally, my opinion, I think we have a choice. Have you ever told God no? None of us, right? I think he gives us that will to do so. I think he gives us that freedom to do so. But then at times, he will make things very uncomfortable for us when we say no to him. We've found Jesus, the son of Joseph. Now, was that just a partial understanding on, on Philip's part? It could have been. It could have been instead of referring to him as the Son of God. But it was also the normal way in that Hebrew culture at that time where a man or even a woman would be known as their name and then the son or daughter of their father. 
We see, we see Jesus using this when he talks to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, and, and he talks about um, Peter, or Simon, son of, or Simon Bar-Jonah, he calls him. Bar is Aramaic for of, or son of. And so he called him Simon, son of Jonah, or actually John. His father's name was John. And so that was a very typical way that you would use to describe someone's name. We see this today with names like Williamson and Tomlinson. Uh, they evolved in, in, from that particular concept. So he goes to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel says to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Again, is he being sarcastic? Or is he, was he a Bible student? Was he studying the Old Testament scriptures? Did he recognize that the, the Old Testament scriptures do not talk about a prophet coming out of Galilee? Now remember, their understanding at this point is not full. It's not complete. They're trying to piece things together. But I love Philip's response because he simply says, come and see. Now, that doesn't sound very argumentative to me. That doesn't sound like he's defending the faith to me. That doesn't sound like he's fresh out of an apologetics class. You know what apologetics is, don't you? The defending of the faith. Which, I, have, I really do have mixed feelings about all that stuff. Because the reality is, unless the Spirit draws someone to himself, you can argue them till you're blue in the face, but you will never argue them into the kingdom. It has to be experienced personally. Yeah, we can share our experience. We can share our testimonies. God forbid if we try to duplicate them in someone else. But I, I think the greatest invitation that we can extend to others in inviting them to Jesus is simply to say, come and see. In other words, get out of the way of the Holy Spirit and let the two of them work it out. Instead of trying to referee. We're not a good intermediary. We're really not. As often as it is that we we, we think uh, that we are, and what I have found with a lot of those defending of the faith type of conversations, uh, and I've had them. All right, basically, someone just wants to be argumentative. They're not really truly seeking. I, I know there are exceptions to this. I understand that, and. I had been a Christian for a long time, and um, one of my neighbors was a, a Baptist preacher who I actually knew him because uh, we'd gone to school together at Cal Baptist years ago. And I was at that place where I was really doubting and really questioning and really wondering and asking a lot of questions, but I didn't necessarily want to have all the answers. I just wanted to be contentious at times. You, you, those of you who know me, you know that that is far from 
That doesn't even describe who I am today, does it, of course, right? But I remember what he told me. I, I love what he told me because it has stuck with me. He said, because I'm asking him all these questions about what if God does this and that, you know, and, and, the, and the dumb questions sometimes of like, can God make a rock that he can't pick up? Dumb question, all right? You know, those type of things. But he said to me, he says, if we really understood completely everything about God, would, we, would he truly be worthy of our worship? And that one stuck with me. Again, there's that distinction between humanity and, and divinity and that separ- place of separation because his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are much higher than my ways, the prophet Isaiah says. And they're beyond my finding out. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And so Philip says, come and see. You know what I love about this is that Nathaniel came and he saw for himself. Philip extends the invitation, then he gets out of the way. Jesus sees him coming and says that he is uh, truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And I thought Nathaniel's, um, I thought his response was interesting. Of all the things he could have responded to, he says, well, how do you know me? In other words, is he saying, how do you know that I'm a true Israelite with no deceit? Maybe he had a pretty high opinion of himself. I don't know. Well, what I love about this in some regards is, is, is John throws these things out here, and as I've said to you before, these are invitations for us to further think through, further reflect upon, further give greater thought to what is being written here and how these things are being used by the Holy Spirit to prick our own hearts. Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, there's all kinds of speculation about under the fig tree. All kinds of speculation. I'm I'm sure that some of you have heard those. You know what I get out of this passage? What I get out of this passage is that Jesus said, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And I leave it at that. Now, if you want to further expand on that or really think that you can you can work through that there are different ideas some of the ancient fathers i think augustine being one said being under the fig tree was a representation of the aprons that uh adam and eve made for themselves after the fall and being under the curse if you will he, he sees that very metaphorically take it or leave it i thought it was interesting There is another view that I could not find in any old sources, in any old historic sources, but they might be out there. But there was another view that this idea of being under the fig tree was where all the rabbis would study. It could be. It makes sense because a fig tree, if it's pruned correctly, will provide a lot of shade. And often they would go outside so they would be cooled down by the breeze and being under the shade of a tree. 
Also, it was in, in, in Old Testament scriptures, it's a representation of someone being in, in a, a prosperous home. So it can mean one of those things, none of those things. Take your pick or come up with your own. But Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel is struck by this. He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. Notice the contrast between what Philip called him, uh, uh, Jesus, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel says, you're the son of God, the king of Israel. So did Nathaniel have a deeper revelation than Philip did? I, I don't know. He might have. He might have been struck by this supernatural uh, um, event where Jesus saw him, recognized him under the fig tree. Now, if Jesus is God, and I truly believe that he is, he also has uh, foreknowledge, which means he knew who, whom he was going to select before he even selected them, which I find fascinating because one of the other Gospels says he went out and prayed all night before he selected them. So, there's a tension there. Which one's true? They're both true. Sometimes we have to live in that place of the tension. He prays all night before he selects his, his disciples, but I believe also according to the nature of God, he had the foreknowledge and knew already what he was going to do. And where does the humanity of Jesus Christ and the divinity of Jesus Christ intersect and when do, where do they diverge? To me, these are things that keep me up at night, actually, because to me, they fascinate me. You're the son of God, Nathaniel said. And no doubt he had this, Jesus has, not had, I use the past tense, I mean, mean present tense. He has this messianic sonship. He's the father's son. He's also the representation of the father. And um, we see this in the baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We see this also in the transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, where this is my son, hear him. And, and so uh, he really represents the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel was also known as what? The son of God. And what he's essentially saying here is he's doing for Israel what Israel could not do for himself for themselves. They never kept the covenant, did they? They were called. But we had Jesus come. Jesus come and live a perfect life and representing the will of the Father. This term the Son of God was also used to designate the Messiah. We see this in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 26, 2 Samuel 7, Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. And really this linking of the sonship of, of God would really is uh, 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 the royalty of the line of David. But what's interesting is that in Jewish literature, some of it even before the time of Jesus, in Jewish literature... They referred to the Messiah as the Son of God. 
We see that in First Enoch and Fourth Ezra, um, in a couple of different places. And, and as one commentator wrote, he said Nathaniel spoke better than he knew. I thought that was fascinating. Nathaniel spoke better than he knew. And then he goes on and he says to him, "Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these?" And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of God, or the Son of Man, excuse me. Now that, that truly, truly, and, and uh, of course, I grew up with a King James, so it was verily, verily, right? Um, it, it, it's, it's kind of this, it's like a double amen, um, it, and so the, it's like this double expression that, that uh, really affirms the truthfulness of that which Jesus is about to say. And so, um, in, in, in the Hebrew, this, this term, amen, uh, really it comes from, the, from, from a root word that really denotes a certainty, a steadfastness, and and. and, and the fact that what is about to be said is in fact true. And so, um, essentially what Jesus is saying here is, what I'm about to tell you is incredibly true because I will say to you that you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is he talking about? There is a Old Testament reference to um, what Jesus is talking about. So if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 28. We'll look at it briefly. Genesis 28. You have the story of Jacob. Jacob has fooled his father Isaac. And he's gotten the blessing from his father Isaac, already bought the birthright from his brother Esau. So he's ripped off, basically, he's ripped off Esau from the birthright, or the blessing, excuse me. And Esau's angry. Esau's going to kill him. Isaac sends him away, sends him to the in-laws. Probably wasn't the best thing to do, but anyway, I don't want to get into that. So as he is leaving... It tells us in verse 10 of Genesis 28 that uh, now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went to Haran. And so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of his stones on that place and put it in his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and the top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So you see the picture here. You have, he has this dream. There's this ladder that goes from earth all the way to heaven. And it says that the angels are ascending and descending on the ladder. Notice ascending and descending, not the other way around. And, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and God of Isaac, and the land on which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. 
And also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, and to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And then Jesus rolled early, or Jacob, excuse me, Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, and the name of the city had been Lutz previously. Bethel referring to the house of God. That's what Bethel means. So he has this dream, right? And God appears to him in the dream. And what does he do? He speaks to him in covenant language. And he reaffirms to him the covenant that he made with Abraham, the covenant that he made with Isaac. And he tells Jacob that he's going to make the same covenant, or he does make the same covenant with him. Um, uh, and it's the covenant on the land in which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants, and also your descendants shall be the dust as the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and the east, the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's very similar to what he gave to Abraham. So he's speaking in covenant language. And the covenant that God gave Abraham is incredibly important because Galatians tells us that Abraham is the father of us all. Because those who are of faith are as believing Abraham. Remember Genesis 15, Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. So, what Jesus is doing in talking to Nathaniel, who appeared to be a fairly good student of the Bible, was essentially saying to him that Jesus himself, because notice what, he's, what Jesus said to Nathaniel that the angels will ascend and descend, not on a ladder. There's no ladder mentioned in the book of John, in John chapter 1. Not on a ladder, but they will descend upon the Son of Man. The Son of Man who is the intermediary, Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. I don't have the time to get into it. But the Son of Man who is the intermediary between the Ancient of Days, that is God the Father and humanity. So he's actually connecting both those concepts of this coronation of the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter 7 and the pronouncement of the covenant to Jacob in Genesis 28. What he's saying is he is the fulfillment of all that. What, it, what fascinates me uh, in, is, is that in, in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, 13 and 14, Hebrews 1 is talking about the superiority of Christ over the angels. And he asks the question, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? 
And are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation? Talking about the angels, are they not ministering spirits? We don't talk a whole lot about angels I, for a lot of reasons. But any, part of it is because we really haven't come up, to, come up against it much in, in, in the scriptures that we've been studying. But what Jesus is telling Nathaniel is that Jesus is himself the means by which the ministering spirits ascend and descend to the throne of God, ascend and to descend to and from the heavenlies. Jesus is the means, and therefore he is also the mediator. Hebrews really gets into this. I'm not going to take the time to do that this morning. But he is telling, he's speaking to him, I think, spiritually. I don't, I don't know that Nathaniel ever had this actual vision. I don't think that was the intention of what Jesus was saying here. But I think, I think what he was saying to him here is, is that you are going to see this come alive spiritually. Why? Because he found Philip, who Philip, as it's recorded, found Nathaniel. And I would say the Holy Spirit obviously spoke to Philip and found Nathaniel and telling him, we have found the one that Moses and the prophets have spoken about. And what he's really telling us is that dream that Jacob had. And later on, Jacob's name is changed to what? Israel. So he's the patriarch. He's the father of the 12. And, and what he's, Jesus is really telling Nathaniel and therefore telling us is that the dream that Jacob had at Bethel, the house of God, was this expression of that which the Messiah would one day do and be the latter by which the angels ascend and descend, and at the top of the ladder, God speaks covenant. God speaks relationship. God speaks promise. God, God, God affirms that he is going to continue to do that which he promised to Abraham, and he will complete that work through the Messiah. Jesus is tying these concepts all together. He will complete that work through the Messiah, and he's saying, Nathaniel, you're going to get to see that. And the reality is, guys, and I'll close with this. We have been given the opportunity to see that in our lives as well. And, and do you see that? Do you see that completed work of Jesus Christ? The fact that, that, that you've received him as Lord and Savior, and yeah, you still sin. Some of you more than others, right? Well, let's leave it alone. But anyway, yes, we still sin, but, but our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We sang it earlier this morning. That proclamation of the covenant by which God gave to Jacob at Bethel is fulfilled in the Messiah in the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's our reality. That's what God desires for us to see. 
in our lives. Even though we might seem seem dimly or darkly, and yet later on as we enter into eternity, we will see face to face. We might see it dimly, we might see it darkly, but the reality is that that's our reality. The reality is that's our reality. That's our truth. That is what Jesus has done for us. And we can rest in that. We can celebrate that. And we can be confident. Therefore, we can boldly go before the throne of grace, Hebrews tells us, to find grace and mercy in time of need.